forever. Dog. Hey y'all, my name is Alex Berg and welcome to the LGBTQ Nation podcast. LGBTQ Nation is the world's leader in LGBTQ news and commentary. And every week we focus on major topics affecting the queer community and speak with the nation's brightest thinkers, journalists, activists, politicians, and more. The CDC recently released guidelines for vaccinated people saying that they can begin doing outdoor activities without wearing a mask and gather indoors with other vaccinated people. This kind of blew my mind as a marvel of science because it feels like such a symbol of progress and movement towards a return to pre-pandemic life and an exciting and nerve-wracking change after a year of living with so much uncertainty. When we started doing this podcast, actually, the vaccine was limited to healthcare workers and we were talking about how some LGBTQ people were hesitant. Now, 100 million Americans are fully vaccinated and here in New York, we are set to reopen fully in July. So I've been thinking... Are we going to have a shot girl summer, as some have called it, or a gay vac summer? And how can we begin to resume pre-pandemic activities while remaining safe and ensuring we don't put our communities at risk? On today's show, we're having a COVID check-in, so to speak, with an awesome panel that's going to help me make sense of the next steps of pandemic life and, of course, what it means for queer and trans people. Joining me now to discuss is Scott Gatz, the founder and CEO of Q Digital, the publisher of LGBTQ Nation, Queerty, Into, and Gay Cities, Dr. Nick Gorton, an ER physician who also works doing primary care for trans patients at Lion Martin, and Femi Redwood, a correspondent and co-chair of the National Association of Black Journalists LGBTQ Plus Task Force. Welcome, everybody. Hi. Hello. Hello. I'm very excited to try to make sense of the moment we're in in terms of the pandemic, but I must start with the most pressing question of all. Are we calling it a gay back summer, a shot girl summer, an inoculation pride? What have we dubbed it? Femi, have you thought about this at all? I have been saying forever that I'm going to have a regular old hot girl summer. <laughs> Sticking to the Megan the Stallion hot girl summer, but regardless of what you call it, I'm going to be out in these streets. Plain and simple. Like I will be out every day. Me and my wife will be out. We're going to be in these streets. Yeah, I feel like that is how, uh, I mean, at least a lot of us want to be out in these streets and having all the fun um, after we are vaccinated. Scott, any thoughts about what are we dubbing this year's Pride and Summer? Like one you've never seen before. I mean, the immense pent up desire just to get out, to get with each other, to be together. Hot girl summer all the way. <laughs> oh, I love it. Dr. Gordon, I hope that you are just not holding on for dear life as you are listening to us talk about how people are so enthusiastic about getting out. From the uh, your expert perspective, how are you thinking about the summer now that folks are starting to get vaccinated, already vaccinated? You know, obviously a lot more people still do need to get vaccinated. Will we be ready to have this hot girl summer of our dreams? I am cautiously optimistic. I mean, I'm looking forward to Pride. I'm looking forward to maybe actually taking a vacation. And that would be amazing. And I think if people do it the right way, we can totally do that and be safe. But it just depends on people doing the right thing. And I'm actually very confident that the LGBTIQ community is going to do that because we're good at doing that, right? I remember very early on in the pandemic, Pride was like the first event that got canceled. Because all the Pride organizers were like, no, 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 we're not doing this, right? And I actually remember on social media, some conservative 
writers would say, oh, well, we're going to have this event because, you know, the gays are going to have pride in June. And everybody was like, no, no, we already canceled that. We'll see in a year from now. Right. So I think we can do a, a really good job at this. It's been fun to see uh, how pride organizations have reacted. You know, last year, nobody quite knew what to do. World Pride held their big uh, worldwide 24-hour virtual pride celebration. And prides were rescheduling dates and pushing them back. Sadly, they just kind of never happened. Uh, but this year, you know, seeing optimism in the way pride organizers are creating events, you know, whether it's some smaller events, gathering in parks, in drive-through contexts, or something like London Pride, who just said, you know, we're going to do this in September really kind of betting on the optimism that June might be just a little early, but by September we'll be in a really good place. So it's wonderful to see these pride organizers being creative, but also being optimistic that, yeah, we're, it's time. It really is time to come together. Yeah, I have to say it is so awesome to be thinking about pride in person together, even if it is a few months from now. I'm so game for that. I feel like one of the things that I am struggling to wrap my head around is I feel like I, I acclimated to wearing my mask, acclimated to being indoors, was so enthusiastic about doing Pride over Zoom or in any kind of uh, you know safe digital way. And then it feels like fast forward so quickly. And now here we are talking about being able to gather with each other. And I'm like, I'm almost, I'm, I'm enthused and thrilled and nervous and um, almost just haven't even taken it all in because it feels like it was going to take longer to get vaccinated and to get everything up and running. So I feel like I am just so excited and processing all of my emotions um, around when Pride is going to be. Femi, what did you do last year for Pride? Have you also processed that we're potentially going to be able to have a kind of celebration in person? Last year for Pride, I tried to do the whole digital thing, but it just, it didn't feel the same. And I just couldn't pretend that it was the same as a traditional pride festival. Uh, but then also when so many of your meetings, uh, and so many things that you do were on zoom, it just was no longer fun. By the time the summer rolled around, zoom was not fun for me anymore. I'm excited for pride. I still don't know whether or not we're going to have it in New York city. I actually coincidentally wrote New York city pride to find out whether or not it's going to be in person. I haven't heard back. Wait, are you saying that you wrote like a personal letter to New York city pride? <laughs> not, okay. That <laughs> makes me sound a bit dorky. Not a personal no, letter. No, I support that enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to know. I would like to start thinking about outfits and whatnot. Yeah, I'm, I'm just ready to get out. But yeah, I want to know what we're doing for Pride. Uh, yeah, in, in some hand, in some ways, it does feel incredibly early because yeah, it was literally less than what maybe four months ago when we finally stopped wiping down our groceries. And so to now think that in a couple of months we are going to possibly be in a crowded place outdoors with other people. But to be honest, after having cabin fever for this long, I think at this point, we just, I don't care about the risk. I say that now. And I also say that while my wife isn't present because she could very well say you are crazy. We are not going anywhere near a pride festival. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm ready to go out. And I feel like so many people feel that way that as unfortunate as it is, it almost doesn't matter at this point what doctors and epidemiologists say, because people are just ready to get out. We just, we're ready. We need freedom. Yeah, it's interesting. The, uh, I think pride organizers are struggling with this because they want to be responsible. Many of our pride events are the largest single day events in the cities they're held in. San Francisco's pride, you know, more than a million people. 
New York City Pride. I mean, just World Pride just a couple of years ago. How many millions of people can you fit into one small island? So I think they're being very cautious. Like that is too many to bring together, even with the best responsibility, just in June. So I, I, I do applaud their desire to kind of make the events smaller, have, you know, panel discussions, have, you know, party events, outdoor things that you can still get together. But let's get together in a couple hundred, not a couple million at the same time. But but you're not alone. I mean, literally 83% of our audience said they are ready to go to real pride. And as soon as it's safe, they really want it to happen. So uh, I get that feeling. And I, I, I appreciate the job that these pride organizers are doing, trying to balance those two things. The really great thing about this, though, is that if you are fully vaccinated, which means if you had a single shot vaccine and you're two weeks out from that, or you are two weeks out from the second vaccine, if you get a two-shot regimen like Pfizer or Moderna, attending a crowded outdoor event, like a live performance, a parade, or a sports event, is considered safest by the CDC. The new CDC guidelines that were just released, there's actually a really great uh, visual PDF that they have, and I can give you the link so you can link it to the podcast, that says these are the, the safe and less safe and more safe things that you can do, but if you are at a crowded outdoor event and you are fully vaccinated and you are wearing a mask, that gets a green light, right? Now, this, the problem is if that's for an individual, it's like, okay, I'm fully vaccinated, I'm going to go. The big problem that I think pride organizers are going to face is that for that person who's fully vaccinated, yes, this is considered a safer thing to do. You got a green light from the CDC, but not everybody's going to be vaccinated. And if you are not vaccinated and you attend a crowded outdoor event, even if you wear a mask, you are in the least safe, sort of the red zone, right? And it would be great if we could just say only vaccinated people, but that's not realistic because people are just going to show up vaccinated or not. Right. Unfortunately, we cannot say this strip of Fifth Avenue is for green zone people. If you're in the green zone, you can come to this part of the march or the parade. Some party promoters are beginning to actually struggle with that question. And can they do a dance party where uh, everyone has to be vaccinated to get in? Now, people during the pandemic already experimented with fully tested uh, dance parties. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see as people struggle with that. And how do you feel about being excluded if you're not vaccinated? But at the same time, I think it's incredibly creative and a way to get us moving again. Yeah. Have they talked about how they would even, is this like the vaccine passport of parties and the <laughs> yeah the the cynical part of me is also like wow well maybe all the people who didn't want to have to get a vaccine passport to get on a plane they're not going to want to miss out on the fun yeah it's going to be a really interesting i mean I think it's a discussion that we'll st probably have for the next few months is how comfortable do we feel with that you know is, is it a scarlet letter or is it really just keeping safe i am okay shaming people if, if you don't get the vaccine, you don't get to drink and have fun and dance. It's plain and simple. Good old fashioned shame. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of good with that, too. <laughs> A month ago, when not everybody could get the vaccine, that was that was there were a lot of problems. With yeah, that, right. Because we right. access for the wealthy access for white people was much greater than access for everybody else. Right. And so 
there were some big ethical quandaries about that. At this point, anybody can go down to a CVS or a Rite Aid and get their vaccine started. And if you went today in early May, you could get your second one in end of May or early June, depending on which vaccine you get. Or if you got a Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the single shot vaccine, you're good after two weeks. So if you went down today, and even if you got a two uh, vaccine regimen, you could still go to Pride events in the latter half, half of June safely. So I agree with shaming people and nobody has an excuse not to get it at this point. Yeah, and I feel like we're all very much coming from the place of where you know, now that everyone can access the vaccine, obviously, I I wouldn't be feeling this way if, you know, certain groups had access and certain groups didn't have access. But now that everyone can access the vaccine, I feel like the the times have changed. The perspective has changed, whereas like folks need to, to, to do what they got to do to get themselves vaccinated. Absolutely. You know, it's talking about our community. We we historically I mean, we fight like the siblings that we are, but we take care of each other, right? So from lesbians in the early 1980s who, you know, when, when there were a lot of healthcare providers who wouldn't walk into a hospitalized HIV patient's room, the lesbians said, stepped up and said, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to take care of our own. And we can do that. And the, the thing with the vaccine is you got to realize, yes, it's your ticket to doing fun things at Pride and, and being green-lighted by the CDC to do all, all the things that all of us have been desperately wanting to do for the past more than a year. But it's also about protecting other people. It's like masks. You know, when I wear a mask, I'm fully vaccinated, but there's a chance that I could get an infection that I didn't even know I had. So I still wear a mask, right? My risk of dying, if, you've, if you're fully vaccinated from the CDC data that we have, your chance of dying from COVID is literally one in a million. Your chance of getting symptomatic disease is like one in 12,000, right? The thing is, though, we don't have as much good data on asymptomatic infections where you get it, you don't have any symptoms of it, and you don't know you have it, but you can pass it on to others. And that data is even less known for the variants that are spreading, and some of those variants spread faster and better, and that's actually what's making them spread. And so we're not really sure how effective your vaccine is at protecting other people, too. So the thing is, you're safe. You may still be infecting other people. So you still need to wear a mask to these events. But it's the same thing with a vaccine. If you're a 21-year-old and your chance of dying from COVID is so low, but yes, get a vaccine because while your chance of dying from COVID might be really low, your chance of giving COVID to somebody who's 70 and killing them by breathing on them is not low. And so when you step up and get that vaccination, you're not just protecting yourself and getting to do all these fun things that we all want to do, you're protecting your community, you know? And we do that. The, the queer community has been doing that for decades. So what I'm hearing is I should basically, for Pride, now that I'm fully vaccinated, get the most sequined, extra, <laughs> over-the-top mask to match my outfits. But here's the problem. And now this is going to be a very ridiculous and very small problem in the grand scheme of things, but it is what I've thought about. Once you put your mask on, if you wear makeup, the second you take it off, your makeup is now smudged. So you've got to do one or the other. The mask stays on all day or your makeup is going to be jacked. 
I have to tell you, it is true that when I, I realized that I could get, like I was able to schedule my vaccines, you know, the, the femme in me was really just excited about wearing <laughs> lipstick. When I saw the CDC's right. updated guidance, I was like, right. my, my face will be able to be out in the world. I will get to wear lipstick again. Right. Femme problems, right? Exactly. Well, beyond Pride, um, you know, one of the other things this is making me think about is like super excited to get to celebrate Pride uh, at some point over the summer or in the fall, whenever it may be and when we can do so safely. But also I was like, I would love to go to Fire Island or P-Town or, you know, to a, a gay tourism enclave. And it seems like those are also starting to open up a little bit. Scott, uh, you know, how have these places been thinking about reopening? I guess even after Pride, um, you know, beyond these celebrations, when people want to actually start going away, because I also feel like I would love to go on a vacation at, at some point now. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially the smaller uh, LGBTQ getaways that you're talking about, like P-Town, for example, did an, an amazing job last summer, right in the middle of the pandemic to you know, require mask wearing down Commercial Street, which is the main strip there, and uh, set up outdoor dining and parking lots. And and really, they adapted very quickly um, to ensure that the summer would have some semblance of reality. Uh, but this year, they're now being able to open up much more. We'll see more indoor dining. We'll see um, things like the afternoon tea, which is already outdoors, uh, be a big, you know, big hopping event. I have to give a lot of credit to LGBTQ nightlife venues and bars who have been so incredibly creative during this time. You know, seeing a drag show on the sidewalk uh, because we're not going to let those drag shows stop. And these various different towns are are going to make it happen. And so they're ready for us. They're ready for tourists. And the tourists, by the way, are ready for them. Already, our community wasn't afraid to hop in a car and take a road trip. This uh, summer, 91% of our readers say they want to go on a road trip. I mean, that's pretty much everybody's going to get in a car and go somewhere. But 68% said they hop on a plane. So I think we'll be traveling a lot more and we've learned how to do it during the last year as well. And then add on the fact that many of us are vaccinated and it just makes that whole process a lot less stressful. Yeah. And the thing to realize with the new CDC guidance is that if you're vaccinated, everything is a green light. The only question is, do you wear a mask or not, right? So if you're on a plane, you wear a mask. If you're in a church service, you're in a mask. If you're in a movie theater, you're in a mask. But you can go to a movie theater, right? You can go to a crowded indoor workout venue as long as you're wearing a mask and you're fully vaccinated and be in the green zone. You're doing the safest activities we know. Yeah, uh, I have not stepped foot in a movie theater yet. I mean, Dr. Gordon, I wonder if you hear this from patients. I'm like, there's the intellectual side of me, which I know that now having had both doses of a vaccine, intellectually, I can totally go to the movie theater and wear my mask. I feel like there's the messy human emotional side of me that's like, whoa, I don't know if I am, I am ready to do this yet because I've been like cooped up for an entire year. Yeah, I got my vaccine in December and January. And so sort of by end of January, late January, I was considered fully vaccinated. And at that time, I was still treating a lot of coronavirus patients, right? And so even though you know my chance of dying from this is super low, I'm not going to get this, I'm very unlikely to even get cold symptoms, but you still walk into the room with this patient who has a deadly respiratory virus and you have to interact with them, which 
do procedures with them. It still caused an elevated sphincter tone and, and it still does, but it's just less. And it took a while for me, you know, we're, we're in May now. I would say the first month after I was really safe, I was still stressed every time I had to do that, right? But as I've gotten more used to it, I've, I've actually found that I have to sort of push myself to still do the things I know I should and to not take shortcuts, right? And that's actually what I'm a little bit more worried people are going to do. They're going to say, well, I'm going to go to the movie theater, but I don't really want to wear my mask. There's not that many people. No, wear the mask. For real, wear the mask. Yeah, I think we have to each give ourselves a little bit of space. I think, Alex, the feeling you're feeling, I think a lot of people are feeling. Uh, let's help each other and give ourselves a space. You know, when you call up your friend and say, come on, let's go out for that cup of coffee and they're hesitant, let them be hesitant. Let them, you know, kind of get there on their own. And and I think like Dr. Gordon says, you know, every month will change. You know, it'll start with a simple thing, walking around outside wearing that lipstick and it'll <laughs> go all the way to... Um, you know, that, that coffee, then that bar, then that tea dance, and then, uh, you're out in the world. So but let's, let's support each other through this as we kind of all find our way. I haven't seen this so much in the queer community, but one of the really toxic things that's out there is this idea of shaming people who are taking precautions, who are wearing a mask, who are using hand sanitizer, who are trying to stay six feet away from people in public. I still do that. I'm going to do that for a long time to come. Um, and, and the thing is, you got to realize, like if some 20 year old is out there wearing a mask, they're not wearing that mask because they're scared of anything. They don't need to be scared of anything. They're 20 years old. The risk of dying from this is super low. Even if they got coronavirus, even if they weren't vaccinated, their risk is really low. But if that 20 year old is wearing a mask, it's not because they're a coward. It's because they care about the people who are around them and they want to protect their grandfather lives with them, right? Because that grandfather has a hundred, two hundred, a thousand times more chance of dying than they do. So when you see people who are having that standoffishness or they're not quite ready to participate, in your mind say, you know, maybe the reason this person is doing this isn't because they're scared or they're being too cautious or too anxious. It's actually because they're you know, showing how much they care about everybody around. Yeah, I think that's such a nice way of putting it. And I think also kind of gets to how the politicization of masks even persists. It's been kind of funny to see various videos and stuff of people on social media being like, well, I'm vaccinated, but I don't want to forego wearing a mask in public because I don't want people to think that I'm like an anti-masker or that I, you know, believe that the vaccine is a hoax. Like I've actually seen videos of people um, walking around doing this. I totally do that too, by the way. Okay. You're like, yeah, because you're like, I want people to know that I care about my community. I'm going to have to get like one of those I've been vaccinated stickers or something and like wear it really big on all of my clothing. It seems like this is another strange phenomenon that's happening just because of the way that all of this has been politicized. You know, it used to be whenever my wife and I would walk around and I would see someone that wasn't wearing a mask, I would under my breath ish or to my wife say something like, God, look at that. On one day, we are walking around. It was after CDC said we didn't have to wear a mask. And I saw someone without a mask. And I said that. And my wife was like, you do realize you don't have on a mask, too. I was like, oh, my God, you're right. (laughs) But I believe in science. I'm vaccinated. 
it's not the same. And I was like, oh God, yeah, I'm going to have to rethink this whole, um, that is definitely something I'm going to think about. Will people think that I am someone who doesn't believe in science because I'm not wearing a mask? We're all just going to have to get big t-shirts that say we believe in science and we're vaccinated exactly. or something. Yeah. When we, yeah. If we go outside, yeah, without a mask on. I have a collection of those already. Oh, you are, you <laughs> have a leg up on now, all actually. Oh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, I guess looking forward, one of the things that's been so heartening is seeing uh, different LGBTQ businesses start to open up around the city. Um, I saw two of my favorite spots, uh, the Cubby Hole and Henrietta Hudson, both are queer bars, lesbian centric. Both of them are kind of starting to reopen. Um, I've been really hopeful that a lot of gay owned restaurants and, and LGBTQ owned businesses have made it through this year. Um, Scott, kind of start to wind us down a little bit. Are we starting to see a lot of these businesses return? Are they having fundraisers? Uh, like, should we expect all of them to be opening their doors very shortly? You know, the news is mixed, sadly. Uh, uh, you know, at Gay Cities, we, we list thousands and thousands of LGBTQ venues worldwide. And uh, this year, more than any other year, we've had to mark so many clothes that just you know, maybe they were struggling before or maybe they weren't, but the pandemic was a final straw and, and closed their doors. And it's incredibly sad to lose so many of these venues. But there are still many that have made it through. And thanks to uh, government programs, thanks to uh, GoFundMe fundraisers. I mean, there are literally hundreds of GoFundMe fundraisers for LGBTQ venues. And we at Gay City started our own Save Our Spaces initiative. Uh, we've raised about $50,000 to date to provide grants to any LGBTQ nightlife venue um, that that needs help. And uh, we're very excited. We partnered with GoFundMe on this, as well as Grindr and all of our other properties, just really to give these folks a, a chance. We don't want the pandemic to be the reason that they've closed their doors permanently. Uh, but the good news is the fact that we are reopening and the, the fact that we're also going into warmer weather in, here in the United States. Um, so we are seeing more outdoor patios or parklets or sidewalk drag performances. So all these things, you know, go out and, you know, as much as you may be nervous yourself, take a moment, try to see if you can support these local businesses, set foot, especially if you're vaccinated, get out there. They need our business. They need our support or go to gaycities.com slash save our spaces and uh, donate as well. We'll make sure that money gets to them and, and they can make it, make it through. Not that my arm needed any more twisting to go spend time at my favorite lesbian bars, but I will definitely be heeding that advice. Amy and Dr. Gordon, do either of you have a favorite business or bar that you've been thinking about going to um, when you feel like it's the right time to go, when you feel safe to do so? This is kind of the question of what is the first thing that you want to do when you get the green light to, to go do it uh, after this year that we've had? I don't have a favorite per se. There's, you know, a couple of neighborhood neighborhood spots that I like going to. Um, but one thing that I've been, we've been very intentional of when we do, when we are able to start going out more, making sure we are spending places on places that we're struggling. So the first bar we actually did go to was Cubbyhole because obviously we're going to support, um, you know, any local lesbian bar. I'm hopeful that Ginger's will reopen. It hasn't yet reopened. Um, I know the owner, um, I think 
she, if I'm not mistaken, she did get sick with COVID. And so maybe there's a lot of hesitancy there, but considering, you know, it's one of the few, if not the only Brooklyn lesbian bar, I'm super hopeful that they do reopen. I would traditionally not ever go to Harlem just to go out, to be honest, just because I'm all the way in Brooklyn. But there is a black gay bar up there that has not gotten all of the, the donations that Cubbyhole or some of the other white owned spaces. I don't know how you pronounce it because I've never actually been there. I think it's like LEB Lounge, um, but it's, I think only one of two black owned gay bars in Harlem, which in itself is sad that, you know, it's this traditionally black neighborhood and it only has these few black gay spots. But when we do actually start venturing out, that's one of the places that I definitely want to spend my money at a regular basis because I want to support anything black owned. And then when it's black and gay owned, it's like, I want my money to go there. So hopefully, you know, they can, they can stick around, but, and even in our travel plans, which is a whole other level of anxiety right there. Whereas we traditionally might not focus on going to gay spots and wherever we, wherever we visit, we do want to make it a plan to at least hit one gay spot, any place that we do visit just to support the queer community as much as possible right now. Well, Dr. Gordon, do you have a favorite spot you're looking to? Or could you even, as we start to close out our discussion, um, the big thing that came through here is that uh, when we are fully vaccinated, it is safe for us to be out in public unmasked. But it sounds like it's a good idea to keep on wearing our masks to show community care, um, that we care about uh, the people around us. Um, Do you kind of, you know, give us some takeaways here of precautions we can take to get us through the next couple of months? So if you're fully vaccinated, any outdoor event except a really crowded event like, oh, say a Pride Parade, you can do probably without a mask. And I'm going to give you that PDF that the CDC has. It's a great little diagram. But pretty much any outdoor event that's not super crowded, you can go unmasked and don't worry about it. So dining in an outdoor restaurant, small outdoor gatherings, going for walks with friends from other families, don't need a mask as long as everybody's vaccinated. If you are going to be doing sort of indoor stuff, like getting your hair done, going to a museum, movie, uh, church, things like that, then yeah, go, green light, just wear a mask. If you're not vaccinated, there's not a whole lot of safe stuff to do. That's, there's nothing that's green that is uh, inside. And even like a small outdoor gathering, you should be masked outside. But the thing is, that's a motivation to get to get vaccinated because then you could do that stuff and not worry about it. I've been sort of venturing out to some of my kind of favorite places. Unfortunately, I only work in San Francisco. I live in Davis, California, so it's mostly the Sacramento area, but I'm doing the same thing. I'm being intentional. I will drive 30 minutes to go to my favorite Black-owned restaurant or something in uh, downtown Sacramento that's one of the LGBT-owned businesses. But going inside, I'm not quite ready to do that yet. I'm still dining outside. I just feel a little bit safer doing that, even though I could. As long as I wore a mask when I wasn't eating at an indoor venue, I would still be fine. Scott, just to wrap up this conversation with some final thoughts, is there somewhere that you're really excited about going? And um, what do you think uh, our listeners, uh, our LGBTQ listeners can can keep in mind going into the summer in this uh, new phase of pandemic life? Well, I mean, for someone, you know, I, I created a travel site for the LGBTQ community. So travel's deep in my blood. And this summer I will travel. I think like you, I'll, I'll head to Provincetown, which is one of the, the best kind of places on the planet, in my opinion. 
And I'm excited to go and grab dinner and see friends and catch a show and play on the beach uh, and, and do it in, in a safe and responsible way. But also I'm supporting all those businesses who are seasonal and need our tourist dollars as well. Get out, enjoy, get in the car. That's what I'm going to be doing and getting on a plane too. Wait, doctor, I have a question for you. Yes. Very important question here. If I have a friend who refuses to get vaccinated, can I have drinks with her or I shouldn't have drinks with her? So when you're going to be around unvaccinated people, the thing to think about is don't assume because you're very unlikely to have this, but what if you had asymptomatic disease and you gave it to that person? So instead of just saying, well, my friend's 23, she's healthy, she's low risk, she can you know, make that decision, great. But if your friend was 23, young, healthy, low risk, but she lived with her 85-year-old grandmother, because 85-year-olds, even if you're vaccinated, you're still at risk. Very tiny risk, but it's still there. So you you got to look at sort of the household, the person you're going to be interacting with. But if, she, if it's just a healthy kid and she's otherwise healthy, I would hope she gets a vaccine. But yeah. I mean, but she won't make that. me sick. Not to be all selfish. No, that's the thing. If like, let's see, she has coronavirus. She has, you know, the highly transmissible uh, variants and she gives it to you. Even if you got the vaccine, your chance of getting cold symptoms is like very small. Your chance of dying okay. from it's like one in a million, right? So it's, it's actually less than one in a million. One in a million people who have gotten fully vaccinated in the United States have died from coronavirus. And okay. so the number who actually got it is, you know, much smaller than that, right? So your chance of getting it isn't a hundred percent just being around somebody. So okay. yeah, I mean, tiny chance you would get it, but even if you do, worst case scenario, you're going to get cold. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. This was a really fun and also informative conversation. I'd love to let our listeners know where everyone can find you. Um, Femi, starting with you, um, where can folks find you online? Uh, my Twitter handle is Femi Redwood, F-E-M-I, Redwood like the tree. And yeah, just Twitter. Instagram will bore you with photos of my very overweight cat. Um, okay. I love a good Instagram chalk account. So please no <laughs> cat slander on this podcast. Um, but also my I'm going to go to your I Instagram. Now that we've been promised pride outfits, I will be going to your Instagram. Um, Dr. Gordon, where can uh, folks find you? So uh, Twitter, again, is probably the thing that I check the most, and that's R Nick Gorton, G-O-R-T-O-N. Though if you are a healthcare provider who has questions about your trans patients, go to Transline. Um, if you Google Project Health Transline, it's the first one that comes up. And that's a plug for our service that provides uh, sort of clinical consultation for healthcare providers who are treating trans patients who have questions about it. And Scott, finally, where can folks find you? Well, folks can find me right where we are right this moment. Uh, you know, follow LGBTQ Nation at, on Twitter at LGBTQ Nation. Uh, subscribe to this podcast and tell two friends. Tell them to download and, and listen to this podcast every week. Uh, I love that. I'm going to tell everybody to tell two friends. I'm just going to start taking their phones out of their hands and subscribing. So <laughs> thank you all so much. Um, I, I hope that everyone gets to have all the fun dinners and summertime and uh, travels um, that we're all hoping for. Each week after we talk about the news, I like to leave you with a story that's bringing me joy. As we enter a new phase of the pandemic, prom season is in full swing. 
And this is a sweet story about the prom king and queen at a high school in Ohio. Annie Wise and Riley Loudermilk, two senior girls, went to prom together as a couple and were voted to the prom court by their classmates. They're the first queer couple named to prom court in their district's history. Wise said that, quote, it took me forever to find the suit that I wore because there's like no tuxes for girls in all of Southwest Ohio. But the response that I got from it is amazing. Of course, parents and residents were mad that a same-sex couple won. After there was an uproar, but a King's District spokesperson set the record straight, saying that, quote, the queen and king that were nominated and won were thrilled. They were so excited and they feel so supported at school. What is great is it shows a lot of character of our students at King's High School. They're inclusive and they get it. Congrats to Annie and Riley and their classmates for knowing better than the adults around them. I hope you all dance the night away. Please make sure to support the LGBTQ Nation podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars, please. And check out LGBTQ Nation every day at www.lgbtqnation.com. LGBTQ Nation has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. LGBTQ Nation is hosted by Alex Berg, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered by Katrina Henning, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Bill Browning, and Melissa D. Motz. Forever! Forever!